0: Stephen M. Ross is a real estate developer and the owner of the NFL's Miami Dolphins. He is a billionaire, when his net worth is calculated, at an estimated $7.7 billion. And if his name sounds familiar to you, there might be a couple of reasons why it is. One reason is that certain things on the campus of the University of Michigan bear his name. One of them is the business school. The Stephen M. Ross School of Business. And there's actually a building that he endowed that bears his name. Also, because he gave a large gift to the University for Athletics, the athletic campus has also been renamed after Mr. Ross. And so if you've you've heard of his name, you might have seen it on uh, some of these buildings around our area. You might also have heard of him in the news because he has uh, held a fundraiser for a certain presidential candidate who also was in real estate development. And um, people associated with the University of Michigan are trying to get his names off the building because of these buildings, because of the candidate he has endorsed. So Mr. Ross is a very wealthy man and very successful in human terms. He also has been, as I've sort of already indicated, a benefactor to the University of Michigan. I mentioned already that his net worth is calculated at $7.7 billion. And over the last um, several years, the the amount that I could come up with, which amount was um, calculated in 2017, so he may have given more to the university since then, I don't know. But Someone calculated that he has given over $375 million to the University of Michigan over many years. All right? And so the University of Michigan flatly said when there were protest groups saying we should take his names off the building, they said this is not happening. All right? Because he's given the University of Michigan a lot of money. And this man illustrates something that um, you know and that I know and that is common knowledge in our culture, and that is this that we measure generosity based on the total dollar amount given. Over $300 million is a lot of money. And it's hard not to look at a gift that large and say a person giving that much money is generous. These were generous gifts that were given to the University of Michigan. And I don't know if Mr. Ross has other um, charities or other causes that he cares about that he gives to, but any way you cut it, his gift was a generous one. Some people give a lot of money to causes they believe in, and when they do, we consider them generous accordingly. And Mr. Ross's gifts, again, are very generous. But the truth of the matter is that any gift at all is an act of generosity, and I feel compelled to say this and to defend this statement because of the world that we live in, a world that is, at least where there's talk of moving towards socialism, a world in which the idea of private property and giving voluntarily rather than by force is uh, very much in discussion in our culture. Biblically speaking, any gift is an act of generosity because the person giving does not have to give. They're not compelled to give. The Bible affirms the right of private property and the right of individuals to use whatever they've acquired any way that they want. And let me just show you a few verses that would indicate this. Ananias and Sapphira were early Christians. And they sold a piece of land and gave money from that land to the church. And God judged them. Not because they didn't give everything that they earned, but because they lied about how much they gave. They said they gave all of the money when they kept part of it for themselves. And in the passage that I'm going to show you in a moment, you can see very clearly that the apostle Peter, when he pronounces God's judgment on them, does not condemn them for for not giving all of the money. He condemns them for lying about it. All right, so let's look at this passage quickly together. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, the scripture says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. This is an act of generosity. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And then Peter says this, did it not belong to you before it was sold? It was your property. And he says, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, he's saying, you didn't have to lie about the amount. This was your money. You were free to keep it, to spend it, or to give it away any way you want. And so even in pronouncing judgment against this couple, it was judgment for lying to God, not for using the money the way that they wanted. Also, Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 20 about a landowner who hired workers and paid them all the same amount, even though some of them only worked for an hour. And the guys who started at the beginning of the day griped about the fact that they were being paid the same as the people at the end. And as Jesus applied the parable, he affirmed the right of a landowner to pay what he wanted. Notice, the scripture says, take your pay and go, I want to, if I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as you, or I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as you. And then he says this, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? All right, these passages and others underline the, what we call the right of private property, And so what I want to say here at the beginning is we measure generosity based on what somebody gives, and that's not necessarily a wrong thing to do. People give money to causes they believe in, and any act of giving is an act of generosity because we believe in the right of private property. But in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to use the gift of someone who didn't have very much as a challenge to our notions of generosity. On a human plane, any gift is a generous one in reality. But God calculates generosity different than you and I do. We measure generosity based on the total dollar amount given. But God measures generosity based on the dollar amount that's left over after you've given. When God says someone is generous or not generous, He doesn't look at how much they gave. He looks at how much they got left. After their gift has been given. And we see that in our story this morning in Luke chapter 21, verse 1, where it says, As Jesus looked up, and remember, Jesus is doing all of this, these things in the temple area after he's made his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. He has been camped out in the temple and he's been teaching. And the area where he's teaching is one of the most widely accessible public courts of the temple. And in this area, there were, I think, uh, 13 trumpet shaped receptacles where people could put money that they wanted to give toward the expenses of running the temple. And so I'm not sure, I couldn't tell from my research if the priests were paid from these funds or not. But definitely any of the things the priests needed to use to do their ministry came from this money. The incense that they burned was purchased with this money repairs to the temple, or repairs to the altars, or any of the things that they needed to use that would wear out and needed to be replaced. All of it came from the gifts that Jesus is going to describe in this passage. And so there were these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles right across from where Jesus is teaching. And so chapter 21, verse 1 goes on and says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Jesus is watching people walk by, and he's hearing the clank of their coins as they enter into these receptacles, one after another, just like people kind of going through a toll booth almost. People are putting money into these receptacles to be used in the service of the temple. And as Jesus watches this, he sees somebody in particular come in verse 2. It says, He also saw a poor woman put in two very small copper coins. And so as Jesus is watching people give, he watches this one person in particular. And verse 2 describes her as a very poor widow. Now, most widows in Jesus' time were poor. Actually, most people in Jesus' time were poor based on the way you would calculate poverty. Most people lived hand to mouth. They worked hard every day just just to have enough for their daily bread, just enough to stay alive. And so when part of the family unit is gone, when a woman loses her husband in death, the one who worked the fields or cared for the animals if he was a shepherd or did whatever it was that caused uh, money for the family to be generated, when he was gone, a woman in that kind of situation was left in a very desperate state, economically speaking. And this is the person that Jesus singles out to talk about generosity. He sees her coming along, and he knows that she is poor because she is a widow. And he sees her put money into the temple treasury. And in this way, Jesus um, shows us really what happens with God all the time when it comes to generosity. How does Jesus know that this woman is a widow? How does he know that she is poor? The answer to that is because he is a -a one-of-a-kind person. Yes, Jesus is one of us. He is a human being. But when Jesus came into the world, God became a man. And Christ has insight into this person's life, this woman's life, because as God, He has access to all knowledge. And as He stands in the temple teaching, and as He observes people doing religious worship, he reveals certain things about the people who come to worship in these talks, in these, uh, in these lessons that he gives, in these conversations that we've been seeing him have. And so as God, he draws on his omniscience, the fact that he knows all things, to describe this woman's experience. And he says, this woman doesn't have much to give. She is a poor widow. Now, the truth of the matter is, in this way, Jesus um, shows us, a human vision of what God is like and what God sees when He watches any of us give to His work. I've said that God measures generosity based on the amount that's left over, and part of that is because He sees the amount that everyone gives to His work. Whether funds are collected in the offering plates, as we will do in a few moments, whether funds are sent in the mail or transferred electronically, whether people give by check or by cash or by coin, God sees all of it. And God knows the economic situation of every giver as well as the heart that motivates every gift. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, Jesus is saying, Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't try to impress people with your generosity by telling them how much you've given. Instead, he says, so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Although it's true that Jesus was watching people give at this time and he was physically present to see their giving. Because he is God, he had seen everything they'd given previous to this. And he knew instantaneously not only how much they were giving, but how much they actually had left over after they gave. And so as Jesus sees this woman give, and as he knows her economic reality, he makes a pronouncement about the gift that she gave. Verse 2 says, He saw a woman put in two very small copper coins. Now these two very small copper coins did not amount to very much money. They were about 1 100th of what a average daily laborer was paid. 1 100th of one day's wage is what she gave. And so if we were talking about in today's terms where minimum wage is a little over nine, it's like $9.65 starting next year, I'm told from the internet, that that's how much minimum wage is in Michigan, One one one-hundredth of that would be less than a dollar. It would just be a few minutes of work for someone who was working a regular eight-hour day and got paid minimum wage. We're talking about an amount of money that you would leave maybe as a tip for someone who made coffee for you. It's the spare change that rattled around in your pocket, and rather than letting it rattle around in your pocket, you just throw it into the tip jar. This is how much the woman gave. Not very much money at all in terms of the absolute total dollar amount. The truth of the matter is, as Jesus is going to remark here, he sees how much each one of us gives. And he knows our economic reality. And Jesus uses the gift of this woman to teach us about what true generosity looks like. She has very little and she gave very little. But even though she gave very little in absolute dollar terms, she gave a lot when it came to what she actually really had. And so this is the other part of God's calculation of generosity. Not only does he see the the amount that everyone gives, but God knows how costly it actually was to you to give to his work. He knows how much you got left over after the gift comes in. And Jesus makes an incredible pronouncement about this woman's gift in verse four. Sorry, verse three. He says, truly I tell you, this is um, a prefix that Jesus put on something that was really important to him to communicate. When Jesus says, truly, truly, or truly I tell you, he is trying to emphasize this is the big idea, all right, to use my terminology. He's trying to say, this is an important truth. Get what I'm saying, because it really matters. And Jesus says this about what he says next in verse 3, which is this. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. She says as God calculates givers, as God makes pronouncements about who is generous and who is not, he doesn't care nearly as much about the total dollar amount as he does about what is left over. Generosity, when it comes to God's calculation, has very little to do with how much you gave. It has a lot more to do with how much you had left to live on after you gave your gift. And Jesus says, she gave more. Of course, she didn't give more in absolute dollar terms. She just gave pocket change, Anyone else who came along and put in their dollars or whatever they, they put in, however much they put into the offering, if they overheard Jesus saying this, they would say, how on earth can you say that? She put in these tiny little copper coins. They're not worth hardly anything. I wouldn't bend over, this man might say, if I saw one on the street to pick it up because it's so worthless. This is pennies. How could you say she gave more than I did when I put in so much into the tre- treasury? Well, Jesus explains in verse 4 when he says it, this, All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. That is, they had plenty more where that came from. Whatever they gave to the Lord in absolute dollar terms, whatever the amount was that came out of their hands and into the receptacles, was not much that hurt them financially. They didn't have to re shift their financial priorities. They didn't have to go to anybody and say, hey, I can't pay for this thing I owe you because I gave too much to the Lord's work. They calculated the amount that they were going to give and they gave according to that, how much they could afford. But she, verse, verse four goes on to say, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. When you and I tell somebody we can't give, you know, when the Salvation Army guy is ringing the bell, or somebody asks us to give something, and we say, well, I'm broke, all right, what we typically mean, what I mean is, I don't have any cash on me, right? I don't mean I literally have no more money. I mean, I don't have any cash on me. But when Jesus talks about this woman's gift, she is saying literally, she gave her very last penny to God's work in the temple. She had enough money, maybe, to buy something to eat for that day. But what she gave wouldn't buy you one taco at Taco Bell today. That's how little she had. And yet, because she loves God, because she loved His work in the temple, she was willing to give up the very little bit that she had in faith to God. This is why Jesus says she gave more than the others, not more in absolute dollars, but more in what her gift actually cost her as a person. The value of a gift as God calculates it is not how much you gave in absolute dollar terms, nor is it how much those dollars can help the ministry that you gave to. When God looks at generosity... When God looks at the heart behind a gift, He says, how much faith did your gift actually demonstrate? How much did your gift put you in a position where you needed God to step forward and provide for you? This is how God calculates generosity. Going back to Mr. Ross and his $7.7 billion net worth, We talked about the fact that this $375 million was a generous gift. That's a lot of money by any calculation. We would take it if Mr. Ross came and donated it to our church. But the truth of the matter is, while it's a a lot of money in absolute dollar terms, it didn't really hurt his lifestyle very much at all. Because if my math is correct, and again, it rarely is, but... His $375 million that he's given to the University of Michigan over years, when compared to the $7.7 billion of net worth that he has, was less than 5% of his net worth. All right, Again, it's a lot of money. But it's not so much money that he had to sell one of his massive buildings in Manhattan to, um, to pay for the gift. To, the, to him, this was not that much money because he had more than enough left over. We look at that and we say, what a generous man. God looks at not the dollar amount, but he looks at how much faith it took to give in the first place. So the big idea of this message, the truth that you and I should take away from it is this. If you love God, give generously to his work. And what is generous is based on what God says is generous, not the total dollar amount you give. Let's dig into this and talk about it. A little bit more because this woman embodies so much of what Jesus has been teaching about wealth and poverty, about money and its hold on us. Money is a sensitive subject for people. And it's because we live either in fear or in greed, or both. Fear is what motivates people to work, it's what motivates people to save. Even someone who has a lot of money might be terrified that through a bad investment or a downturn in the economy or a change in their business, whatever they've got banked might go away. And then what happens? What happens when they can't pay the bills? What happens when they don't have enough money in their pocket to buy one taco at Taco Bell? Fear surrounds a lot of our thinking about money, but so does greed. Maybe not greed in absolute dollar terms, maybe we don't feel envious of Mr. Ross, but we would like a little bit nicer house, or we'd like to make some repairs or improvements to that home, or we would like maybe a more up-to-date car than the one that we drive, or some new clothes, or whatever. These are all ideas that revolve around materialism. And throughout the gospel, according to Luke, Jesus has been addressing these issues of money. He's been talking about poverty and wealth. He's been talking about faith when it, when it comes to money and giving and so on. And this woman, this woman, this widow who was so poor and gave so little to God, and yet what she gave was so motivated by her faith that she really embodies everything Jesus has been teaching about money. This woman embodies the kind of financial faith Jesus taught in the Gospel of Luke. And that's really what is happening here. She was putting her hands her, her life in the hands of God when she gave this, because she had nothing left. And so she was counting on God to step up and provide for her. And yet Jesus has been, throughout this entire gospel, he's been teaching us all kinds of truth that's counter to our thinking about money. Jesus has been teaching things that address our fear head on and address our greed head on. And this woman embodies all of those things. And so let me just take you through many passages in the Gospel according to Luke and show you how much Jesus has been saying about money and some of the ways in which this woman embodies it. So if you get lost in all these passages of Scripture, all right, just remember, I'm kind of taking you through the Gospel according to Luke consecutively and showing you how much Jesus has been saying about money as we've moved through it together. In Luke chapter 6, verses 20 and 24, Jesus said this. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor. This was not a common notion in the culture of Jesus. People thought the rich were blessed. But Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Who is blessed? As Jesus watches people put money into the temple treasury, he says it's this poor widow who is blessed because she has something with God, a relationship with God that the wealthy don't have. Her faith is truly in God in a way that people who have money in the bank can never understand. In Luke chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, the scripture says, He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Jesus sends the disciples out and he says, don't take any provisions, no luggage. You got to live on faith. You got to wait for God to show up and provide for you. This is, and this woman lived this way every day, not just when she was on a missions trip. She had the kind of financial faith that Jesus called his disciples to live by when they went out to evangelize for him. In Luke chapter 11, verses 40 through 42, Jesus said, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? He's talking to the Pharisees and how they cleanse the outside and look good religiously. He says, but now as for what's inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. This woman was generous with what she had. Why? Because she was practicing the love of God, just as Jesus commanded the Pharisees to do. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, The scripture says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This woman did not have an abundance of possessions. I'm sure of it because she had so little cash and yet whatever she could buy with those coins was not so precious to her that it mattered to her more than giving to God's work. She knew that possessions mattered a lot less than having faith in God. In Luke chapter 12, verses 29 through 34, the scripture says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. That's what I would have been thinking about if that were me in that situation. What are we going to eat tonight if I give this to God? Jesus says, don't worry about that. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. This woman gave to God's work first, expecting that God would provide the rest just as Jesus described here. And so he goes on in verse 32 and says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail. For where where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Why was it so easy for her to give up what she had? It's because she loved God. She loved his work. And the promise of Christ is, when she gets to heaven, even though she never had much, she's going to receive a rich reward from God who saw her faith and saw her love for him and realize how deeply generous she was, even though in the total dollar amount, she gave very little. And then in Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What this woman gave was not a cost. That's how we tend to think about giving. It's a cost. It wasn't a cost for her. It was an investment, an investment in eternity. In verse 10, Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Yes, she didn't have much money, but her financial priorities were pleasing to God. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches, Jesus said. And in Luke chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate, you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So I say God values generosity based on what you got left over, not how much you gave, because God sees the heart. And his value, time, his value tables are very different than ours. In Luke chapter 18, verses 22 through 27, Jesus said, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. This woman didn't have to sell everything she had because she didn't have anything except for these two coins. Yet she gave them to the Lord's work. "'Then come and follow me,' Jesus told this rich young ruler. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, "'How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. "'Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle "'than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God.'" Those who heard this said, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What this woman did seems impossible to us. How can you give the very last coins that you have on earth and expect God to provide for you? That's hard to imagine, but that's what she did. Because she believed in a God of the impossible. Luke chapter 19 verses 8 through 10. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus doesn't chide him and say, well, the the woman, she gave everything. You're only giving half. No, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. You see, your generosity is very much in proportion to your faith, but God values faith as small as a mustard seed. So Zacchaeus gave half. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This woman embodies the kind of faith that Jesus was calling his disciples to have. And finally, in Luke chapter 20, verse 25, we just looked at this a few weeks ago. He said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. This woman looked at the two coins that she had and said, these are God's. Let's make sure he gets them. So this woman embodies the kind of financial faith that Jesus taught in the Gospel of Luke. And it should be a challenge to every one of us to think about our generosity. I don't know who the largest giver to this church is, and I don't want to know who it is. Because it doesn't matter. Whoever gives the most in raw dollar amounts, maybe someone with great faith, or maybe someone with great wealth, and not that much faith. What matters to God is not the amount you give. What matters to God is the heart of generosity that gives and gives and gives because it loves God and loves His work and wants money to be invested for eternity. That's what God means when He says, give generously to my work. And so let me take you through some application steps to consider as you think about your own financial faith and your own generosity. How can this woman's story teach us about how to handle our finances to the glory of God? First, let me talk to you if you don't give to God's work. If you're not a giver to God's work or you don't give regularly or consistently, you tip God's work every now and then, but you haven't made this a part of your financial life. Let me give you some some ideas to consider if you don't give to God's work. Some steps of faith that you can take, concrete steps of faith to put faith into your finances. The first one is this. Try tithing for a month or for six months or maybe for all of 2020. In other words, what I'm saying is I want you to try something and I want you to set the amount of time that you give. Of course, I believe we should all be tithing all the time, but if you're not giving, I want to give you a smaller step of faith. And so I'm letting you decide if you want to tithe, decide for how long you want to tithe and actually see what happens in your financial life. And the reason I come to this is because of what God says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Nick Boothman preached on this passage a few months ago, and he said something that's really important. This is the only place in the Bible, I think he said something like this, and I think he's right, where God says, test me. Every other time you put the Lord to the test, that's a sin. But God says, test me in this, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is not telling you that the pathway to riches is to give everything you have. The blessing that's described here is not given in absolute dollar terms because God blesses us in many ways. The thing I want to focus on is the Lord's statement here, test me in this. If you're not a giver to God's work, if you don't tithe to this church, why don't you test the Lord? Why don't you set a period of time and say for the month of January or for the first six months of 2020 or for all of 2020, I'm going to consistently tithe to this church and see what happens in your financial life. The second thing where you might consider putting this into practice is to automate your giving or make your tithe the first check you write when you get paid. One of the things that's great about what this woman did is she did not give what was left over. That's what everybody else did. Okay, they put all of their the monthly spending that they needed into the buckets that they had allocated for. They made sure that all of their needs would be provided for. And then what was left over, they gave some of that to God. But God's word tells us, you should make God's work a priority in your financial life. You should give first and then work out the rest. Notice this passage of scripture from Proverbs chapter three, verse 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of your crop, the stuff that comes in first goes to God, not what's left over when the barns fall. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, the scripture says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income." Saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. This sets out the pattern of giving to the Lord's work on Sunday. And Paul says, Make this a conscious priority in your life. Set it aside. Protect it. Don't give me what you've got left over after all the bills are paid and you've done some fun stuff on Saturday. And then whatever's left in your pocket, toss it in the plate on Sunday. No, he says, Make this a priority. Set it aside in keeping with your income. This is one of many disciplined financial steps that really every christian should have in our lives we should have some discipline about our finances and the first one ought to be giving to the lord's work and one way to do this is to automate your giving we have a process by which we can remove from your bank account by your designation whatever amount at whatever time you want I did this years ago. Someone asked me years ago like in a meeting, do you tithe? Like they personally asked me if I tithe. I have no problem answering that question. The answer is yes. But I think they asked me because I never put anything in the offering plate. Why? Because I automate my giving. That's why. And automating your giving is one way to put the Lord first in your finances. It's to give of your first fruits rather than writing the check if you've, and hoping you have enough left over in your bank account. And so maybe some of you are Giving inconsistently, and one way you can enforce some consistency into your life and test this is to automate your giving. And we can show you how to do that. Or maybe when you're sitting down to pay your bills, make sure you write your tithing check first before you pay any other bills. So these are some ways in which you can give to God's work as steps of faith if you're not already giving. What if you are giving? If you do give to God's work, what does this passage maybe suggest to us? Let me ask you this, could you increase your percentage in 2020 to something more than what you give now? As your income grows, as your expenses decrease maybe as you get older, do you get more generous with the money that you have? Or do you keep with the same patterns you've always followed? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8, through eight, in a passage that talks about giving, says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Again, the Bible never views giving as a cost. It always views it as an investment. It costs the farmer a lot of seed to put that seed in the ground. He doesn't have it anymore. But no one would think of it as a cost because seed planted in the ground fertilizes and grows and becomes something greater and even more production, productive. The Bible says this is what giving to God's work is like. And he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every work. If you've built in the habits of giving in your life, that's good. But has your faith been challenged? Have you taken a greater step to give? Maybe that's what the Lord would want you to do as we approach the next year. Increase your percentage. Or find a worthy ministry and give it above your tithe, above the tithe you give to the Lord here at Calvary. I believe that. The tithe should be given to the local church. But I also believe that we can be generous beyond tithing. That can can come through the local church as well, or it can be given to other um, good ministries that the Lord uh, can use. And I think this is really what happened in Philippi, the Philippians. Based on many other passages of the New Testament, I believe that God's people gave to their local church. But in Philippians chapter 4, we also see that they gave a gift to the Apostle Paul. They gave it directly to him. Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 through 20 says, Paul says, "...I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of, of His glory in Christ Jesus." To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see how in all these passages, there's always the promise of God, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. Don't worry about it. Take a step of faith financially. Some of you maybe who are tithing to our church, and maybe you're increasing your gifts from time to time, even yearly. But you've still got enough left over that you can contribute to some work of God that's going on. Maybe one of the people in our church, one of the missionaries that we support, you could give an extra gift to, either through our church or directly. Or maybe there's some other cause that you know would be pleasing to God that you could contribute to financially. And on top of your tithes and offerings, this would be a step of faith for you going forward. Lots of people say that they love God. God says you love me if you keep my commandments and if you give to my work. And so if you're a believer this morning, let me urge you, if you love God, give generously to His Word.